The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Please visit the Good Grief page at Voice America to suggest guests, connect to my social media, and share your own stories of loss and transformation. There's an email link. There's a link to my website, all my social media, and um, I'd love to hear from you. Today, my guest is Marcy Baskin. Marcy's story is a poignant example of grief as a life-changing experience. Marcy's parents, both in their 70s and in poor health, moved to California to be near their children. Marcy was stunned when they arrived, over-medicated and under-attended by their respective physicians. The jigsaw puzzle of obtaining medical records, finding providers, going to medical appointments, supervising caregivers, eventually finding appropriate placement for mom, who had Alzheimer's, all became a full-time job leaving little time for taking care of herself, her career, health, and her relationships. Marcy's takeaway from this experience was that being the decision maker for a loved one was a rugged task. If only she'd had another pair of eyes and ears to help. Despite the unwavering support and love offered by her husband, her ongoing grief was huge and relentless. A fierce advocate for her mother, she was drawn to enrolling at Sonoma State University in their health navigation and advocacy program. Today, Marcy has a private practice in elder care management and family coaching, helping those who are in an all-too-familiar situation, as she was. She's on the faculty at SSU, teaching the very program that was life-changing for her. She's also written a guide for people navigating the assisted living world called Assisting Assisted Living Questions I Wish I Had Asked, and you can reach her at elderroads.com. Welcome, Marcy. Hello, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to. You're welcome. Uh, let's just start with the, the work you're doing. Um, it seems to resemble what I know about patient advocacy, but maybe a little different from that. Can you describe what you do with the clients you see and the families you work with? Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Um, patient advocacy it implies patience, that there's always a patient that you're advocating for. Uh, what happens in my practice is that I work with the whole family, not just the person who may have dementia or a chronic illness. I do help with that. I do medical advocacy. But I'm really working with the family as a unit 
because, as you know and I know, a lot of issues come up when somebody you love is so ill. Well, well, especially in terms of often that person actually not being able to be too engaged in figuring out uh, what what they need or how to get it. Yes, um, I would I would have to say that ninety percent or more of my of the people who hire me are adult children or a spouse or a sibling. Usually, the person that we're all talking about and circling the wagons around. Is not doing is not even aware that of what I'm doing. Um, un- unfortunately, a large percentage of my clients have dementia, and it seems that that's what's happening in the elder population. Dementia is rampant, and people need help. It's hard to know what to do when you're staring at someone you've known your whole life and every single day your grief starts over because they're still living and breathing and they look like the person that you've always known and loved, but they're not there. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I feel really um, blessed to be able to sit with people through that because I had no one to sit with me through that mm-hmm. and it made it really difficult. Well, I haven't I haven't thought of it quite this way before, but I would imagine there would be more inclination on the part of, you know, adult children to uh employ your services in those situations because uh I'm comparing it to the situation with my mother who died of pancreatic cancer and who was cognitively pretty with it the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh so there was a sense that those decisions were her to make. I was there to support her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm imagining what the transition might have been had, uh, how hard it would have been to take that over if she wasn't able. Uh, uh, yeah. it's, it's so out of kilter with, you know, the way you've lived in relationship to a parent. Well, you're basically parenting your parent at that point. And there's nothing natural or enjoyable about that. The only part that's good is that you know that you're getting them the best care possible and that you're protecting their dignity and you're making good health care decisions, good financial decisions, whatever it is that you happen to be doing for that person. But parenting your parent, um, there's, there was no manual for that. For and, sure. And the, we, the, the kind of being that I'm in the psychological realm, the emotional and, and psychological shift it takes to see yourself in that role. Yes. Yes, and it, it, it is something that happens over time. And for me, anyway, um, I, I took care of my parents for six years. My dad died after the first three. And then it got really tough because my mom had Alzheimer's. He did not have dementia. He had physical ailments. Um, one day I woke up halfway into that process with mom and I said, I'm the mother. Mm-hmm. When did this happen? And mm-hmm. where's my mother? And mm-hmm. I realized at that point that I was grieving my mother. And mm-hmm. every day I grieved. You know, there are books and articles written about dementia and it, it truly is the long goodbye. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, little pieces at a time, which I find, you know, sort of I, my my mental image in my head is sort of water torture. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but it is torture. A little piece and a little piece and a little piece over a very long span of time. Just the exhaustion of that. Well, and unlike water torture, there's the personal work that you can do for yourself because things like this are an inside job. It's not about anything else except what you're doing, you as the caregiver. What are you doing with this? And looking at how you feel and looking at how you're changing and, you know, at the same time being the best you can be for that person. And it's not always easy. Dementia is a maddening disease. Being asked the same question 35 times in one hour is maddening, no matter how much you love someone. And a lot of my clients, we talk about that a lot. They say, I just can't stand it one more minute. And Mm. we, we we speak to that. And sometimes it helps to talk about it. Sometimes it doesn't. I think support groups are probably the best thing that people can do when they're in this position. Well, there's... You know, I, my wife, who died in 1995, had periods of being out of it, very much so at the end. She had calcification, which kind of ammoniates you. Mm. Uh, and uh, what I found is I had to reassess who I thought I was in that relationship. Yeah. Because memory is such a big part of how you feel connected to the person. They keep you in mind. Yeah. Um, so to be without that, I had to recalibrate. And I think that's, do you think that might be part of why people get so irritated too? There's just the fact that it's irritating. Oh God, I've got to repeat myself. But I also think it's a, a real indicator of what's been lost, that that person is not remembering you, uh, that, that you're kind of, um, present, but not, not in them. In the well, same you're way. in you're in those memories that are gone, that are gone exactly. And I'll I'll tell you something. One of the worst days of my life. I'm 62 years old, and in 62 years, the worst day of my life was when I walked into where my mother was living, and she didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. That was that was really tough. And then I had to do some work around that. I asked myself. Why is this so tough? You knew this was coming, and it is part of the disease. And I really teased out, what about your mother not knowing you makes it so unbearably painful? And I want to say something uh, about what, what I said earlier about you get so irritated at being asked the same question over and over again. And my experience, and I have interviewed many people because I'm writing another book, so I'm, uh, other people have gone through this. Um, we all agree that when you get angry, if you scratch beneath the surface of that anger, what do you think is there? And there's your grief and grief. your sadness yeah. and your loss. Yeah. And it seems to enlighten people when we have that conversation because anger is much easier. You know, I... I in the I, short term, right? In the short term, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, she's driving me crazy. She's driving me crazy. She's asking me this question so many times. I already told her that. But, of course, you know intellectually that she can't remember the answer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and there's a lot of skills that we teach people to use with dementia. I know this is coming, starting to be a conversation about dementia, but I have to say most of my work is about that. Um, 
I well, mean, I, I, think, I can advocate for someone who's having a, a knee replacement to make sure that the protocol is followed and, and that they are kept apprised of all the information they want because sometimes doctors are too busy or don't have the time for, to sit down with a patient and actually answer all their questions. So that's what a medical advocate does. I personally am really drawn to the dementia work. It's just so much more complicated. You have a knee replacement, and in three months, you're better. And it's so much more complicated, and also, um, uh, you know, I'm th- I'm thinking about the times, and I will admit there were quite a few in my mother's illness where I was really irritated, mm-hmm. and it wasn't because she was forgetting. It was because we're having a glitch, and in the context of losing her, that was sort of intolerable. So I think what you're saying has some implications for for every kind of uh, parent support that that adult children do. Yeah. That that underneath our reactions is really the breadth of what we're experiencing. Uh, yeah. All we have to do is crack the door a little, and there it is. Yes. And and. Going through this, having been through it with each of my parents, um, it, it has taken me to places inside of myself that I know very well I was unlikely going to visit had I not had to live through this experience. Mm. You know, really looking at my relationship with my parents, which I, I actually was, am one of those fortunate people who had amazing parents, and I had a great childhood, uneventful but great. Um, um, I was totally loved and supported. But as I grew older, I was the rebellious one in my family. So we were at war for probably a decade mm. before we settled down. But there was always a little piece of that there with my mother and me. And I remember the exact day that I realized that that had left me, that need to challenge her or to... or or. Uh, be curt with her, or I, my mother could reduce me to 16 years old when I was <laughs> until she died. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, I stopped becoming that 16 year old, and I saw myself um, defined somewhat by the role that I was given to care for her. And in hindsight, it was a privilege. And so, I mean, grieving. Grieving my mom for three years was, I know it sounds weird, but it was, it was a privilege because it, it, does, taught, it taught uh, me so much about my relationship with her, my relationship with myself, my relationship with my sister. It was actually a beautiful thing, except that it really hurt. Well, of course, you will get no argument from me because that's <laughs> yeah. absolutely where I live, that there's some way that, uh, you know, grief is an honoring and and teaches you a lot if you let it. Yes. So well, that's very familiar to me. Yes. Grief is grief is an opportunity. I think that's what I was trying to say. Uh, mm. That's a concise way of saying what all these words are. Because when my mother died, I shut down. I didn't feel anything really. I mean, I was sad and. You know, oh, it's over. It's kind of relieved because it was not a good quality of life for her or for me. Um, but I didn't realize it at the time, but I shut down. And six months later, I was feeling my grief 
physically. I was feeling it in my belly. I was feeling it uh, as an immovable rock inside of me. Mm. And truly, if I had moved that rock, I think my fear was is that I would start crying and never stop for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, and I did. I, I do interesting things sometimes. Six months after she passed, I took hospice training. And it was a 12-week program, and I was the kind joke of the class because I wept through every class throughout the whole program, (laughs) and my grief was moving. It was cracking open, and that was when I started to heal. And that was three years ago. I'm still grieving. Make no mistake. I am definitely grieving, but it's not in an active, hot kind of way. One of my clients is 87 years old, and she does not have dementia. She's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And she told me that her mother died 39 years ago, and she misses her every single day. And it's kind of like that for me. I know it's not like that for everybody, mm. but I still miss her terribly. She was, she was my biggest fan. Mm. So I guess I was grieving the loss of my cheerleader, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> and all the things that she was to me, you know. Well, I I did I did a piece of writing recently, uh, and and after after this we'll probably go to a break. But I did a piece of writing about how the ways I opposed my parents uh, were actually very growthful and meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. You were talking early about earlier about being in contention with your mm-hmm. mother, and um, I'm finding that the the it's like the wall's been removed, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and that's a little dis, uh, disorienting. Yeah, uh, because I did learn who I was in relationship to both the ways I felt supported and the ways that I I broke out against. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your what you're saying uh, connects with that for me. Oh yeah, it sounds your the way you are saying it sounds very familiar to me. Uh-huh. So we probably did something similar in our dance with our parents. It sounds that way, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Let's talk more about that after the break. Okay. I, that's, a, that's a great subject for me. This is a good time, and so we're going to go. Listeners, get in touch with me on my host page, goodgriefatvoiceamerica.com. And to be in touch with Marcy, go to elderroads.com. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
we're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm Cheryl Jones, and my guest today is Marcy Baskin, whose work... Elder Rhodes supports families dealing with elder care and and also transitioning to assisted living. And you can find her at E-L-D-E-R-R-O-A-D-S, elderroads.com. So before the break, we were talking about um, more the more more after the death, the grief part, and what it's uh, what it's been like for at least the two of us to mm-hmm. to lose a, a loving mother who we also um, pushed against, if if I could say it that way. Yes. Um, that's just uh, it's it's very interesting to me to talk to somebody else who has that same combination, mm-hmm. and I don't think we're alone in that. I've I've uh, talked with other people too. Um, did you have some sense of that with with her her Alzheimer's? You know, before she died, did you have some sense of that um, uh, the loss in you know because you did it is the long goodbye, and yet I get the sense from you that something uh, different did happen when she died. That's an interesting question, Cheryl. Um, A lot of things happened when she died. Um, As I said earlier, for a while, I just shut down. I think I was wrung out emotionally, and I knew intellectually that I wanted to grieve and get on with it, but I wasn't quite able to do that Um, until, as I said, I went to hospice training, and which is all about loss and grief and death and the beauty, actually, and the interesting part of an individual leaving their body and how you can make it lovely for them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of a hard question. It it is, and I don't, you know, um, I haven't had that experience except, as I mentioned, you know, with my wife right near the air end mm-hmm. where she was very cognitively impaired as part of the death process, maybe the final month or two. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have that long sense of losing a piece at a time. And yet I've talked with many people who who have, and there still is something different about the finality, I guess. Yeah. Um, and maybe the end of the work of it and the uh, uh, the beginning of the 
the work being the feelings. Uh, because I was thinking how overwhelming some of it is when you're dealing with the practicalities, you know, right. picking a place for them to live and moving their stuff and, you know, getting rid of stuff and it, all of that practical work does kind of uh, take a lot of pres- priority. Well, it's really interesting, Cheryl, and I, I want to be clear that I'm aware that many people keep their parent at home, take care of them that way. This is, when my mother was in early stages, I said to her, and she was perfectly capable of answering the question, and I took a big, deep breath, and I said, you know, Mom, we have a guest room. You could have your own bathroom. We're, I was shuddering as I asked the question, but I felt that she needed the opportunity to live with me if she wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, so would you like to come to live with Stephen and me? And she looked me straight in the eye, and she said, definitely not. <laughs> and so I knew that I was doing right by her on that, and I was doing the best thing for myself as well. But most, I would have, I would have stuck it out if she came here, and I don't know what would have happened. It would have been worse than what I actually ended up having. Uh, however, moving to her to assisted living, that was one piece of the work, but I visited her every day. Mm. And I was, I felt like the most, contentious adult child in the building and I there were nothing was ever good enough that they did and in retrospect and when if you read the intro to my book I say she got excellent care there was nothing wrong with the care and that's really why the main reason for having somebody live in assisted living is that they're well cared for and safe Uh, and it's it goes back to that point about it's easier to be angry and, and not stop for a minute and say, what's under that? Because it would have been unbearable. Somehow, you know, what, what changed is when she died, I could eventually allow myself to feel how serious this loss was to me. Mm. And... And I think a lot of people have a similar experience. You know, it's, I have always said, I can't even imagine what it would be like having your mother pass and never having felt that you had a loving relationship with her um, or really not liking each other. There are families that just don't like each other um, mm-hmm. and stay contentious forever. Yes. What is that like? I mean, I felt in my heart when I was doing this work um, with mom and, and taking care of all the details. And it was not at no cost to me. It was, had a great cost. But the good news is doing that work with mom and seeing my peers with their parents um, and learning about their stories, it, it propelled me to have a career change at age 58 and go back to school. And it was the best thing I've ever done. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've had many businesses. Some failed, and my last business was very successful. It was had nothing to do with this. And um, I feel so in the right place now. I feel like I'm well used. And this will probably be my last career. <laughs> I'm going to do it for a long time. <laughs> I, I started this show at 60, so don't be so sure. 
But <laughs> well, you know, that's we're just coming into ourselves at sixty. We're getting we're getting great, you know. Yeah. And, but aside from that, I would never ever have looked at this path if it wasn't for what happened with my parents, especially my mom. And I often find myself thinking about her when I leave a meeting with a family and I'm feeling really good, like I I made a difference today. And that's not every day, but I made a difference. And I thank her. I know that sounds really corny, but I really do thank her. I say it out loud. I'm in my car. And I know that she would be thrilled with what I'm doing now. And then I wonder, hmm, am I doing it to please her? <laughs> uh, still trying to please mommy. <laughs> but but uh, when I, if I had to be honest, I wasn't much of a pleaser. So I guess I'm not doing well, it for that and, reason. And not to mention, as long as you're also pleasing yourself, what's the harm? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. As I said, uh, I'm sorry to be repetitive, but I feel so well used in the right place at the right time. And... I have never felt that way in any of the work I've done in my life. Unfortunately, it just, I mean, I had some very interesting jobs and I made very good salaries, but I never felt like this. I love getting up and going to work every day. So thanks, Mom, <laughs> if you're listening to the show. Yeah, and that doesn't sound corny to me, of course. Yeah. I, I live in that all the time, so I understand what you're talking about. But I'm also aware, if your mom died just three years ago, that you you uh, making this leap and getting that training and going to the hospice training and crying and crying, it all kind of happened concurrently, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes people wait a while. <laughs> Is that um, characteristic of you in general, kind of um, a, a take-action kind of person, or was it this circumstance in particular? Ah, what a good question. I think I'm a take-action kind of person, but I don't do it thoughtlessly. I give it. I give things, big decisions, a lot of consideration. Um, I think I wrote in the in the bio I sent you, or I think it's what I took out because it was so long, but the way I found out about this program was my husband came home from work one day and he saw a ripped up muddy brochure from Sonoma State University on the ground near our mailbox. And he brought it in the house and said, you know, they have this program in patient navigation. That's what they called it at that time. Um, and it seems like that's what you're doing. Maybe you'd be interested. And I looked at him and I said, I felt myself go really hard. And I said, you can't give me one more thing to read, one more thing to do, one more thing to consider. I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. So he said, okay, okay, I get it. And he left it on the kitchen counter. And finally, after two days, I was circling around it. I wouldn't look at it. And then you didn't throw it out. <laughs> no, I didn't. And it was, it was dirty, and it was on my white kitchen counter. <laughs> and I just left it there. I, I mean, I was angry. I, you know, again, it's not really angry, but that's what I was experiencing. How could he not see how busy I am and, you know, how, how overwhelmed I am? Anyway, long story short, I looked at it, and I said, wow, this sounds like me. He's right. And I applied for the program. I got in and here I am. So I thank my mom for all of that, really. Well, I thank Stephen a little bit because he found the brochure, but 
I thank my mom for kind of giving me the courage to do something like this because if there were people, I'm, as I said, I'm one of the teachers in the program now and I'm mentoring five students. And for some of them, they have never been through this with a loved one and they've had completely different careers in their lives. And they're, they are so overwhelmed when they're seeing what it takes to be a good navigator. And I already knew. And that's why it spoke to me and resonated. Um, I knew what it took to do it because I had been doing it. And that was a gift for my mom as well. And it's so. also in terms of the people you work with, uh, I, I, I tend to call it the been there factor. Yes. Um, there's something so different about being supported by someone who's actually experienced it. Yes. That that I don't know if it can really be duplicated. And I'm not saying people can't be very good at that without right. the experience, but there is something more about working with someone who's been there, don't you think? I agree 150%. If I had had somebody like me when I was going through this, I, it still would have been sad and horrible for my mother to have Alzheimer's, but it would have been a very different experience. I was so lost and overwhelmed. And I'm not, you don't know me personally, but we, I am not a, a person who lives in overwhelm and upset. I mean, I, I'm a doer and I, you know, I want to live a good life and I, I, you know, I'm all over that. And this felt like the end of my life to me when I was doing it in a lot of ways because I felt so isolated. Mm. And I couldn't talk to my friends about it. It got to the point where I know that they would say to my close friends, even would say, so how's your mom? Well, how did they think she was? You know, she's worse. And I finally got the courage to say, please don't ask me about my mom anymore because I really don't want to talk about it. And then... I joined a support group, and I was sat with people who were actually on a parallel path, and that helped me a lot. So when I started considering this program, I thought, well, what am I going to do with it? It's not about elder care. And I thought, well, maybe the fact that I have done this job with an elder, maybe I could do it with others. And so that's why I decided to go into private practice and not look for a job. I'm not very good at getting jobs anyway. I'm sort of a, <laughs> a loner that way. But I knew from the very beginning that that's why I was in that program. And they never even talked about elder care management in that program. So, But they do now because I'm there. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. So another way you're... Um you know, your experience has then influenced the world and, you know, had an impact. Well, uh, which, so. uh, well, I think that's a given if they weren't talking about something that's so vitally important and common, and now they are, that's an impact, isn't it? Yes. And to be perfectly honest, elder care and all things elder is what's happening right now in terms of people creating and looking for jobs or creating businesses because guess what, Cheryl? We're about the same age, right? Yeah. We're the next. baby boomers are aging. <laughs> they are. There's a lot of us. And 
Alzheimer's has no cure. Dementia has no cure. And and um, we're and we're living long enough to actually uh, more of us will be impacted by that yes, because we will. we're living long enough to experience that. Yes. Yes, and the statistics are staggering. You know, there are some things I wanted to ask you about um, in terms of that. For instance, um, one thing I was very aware of reading is how much all those questions in your book, which were excellent, uh, you know, Thank about you. the kind of care and and the how much oversight and, and all of the different questions about a facility, how much and how radically that would be impacted by someone's socioeconomic resource. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a little and and maybe do you think there's improvement happening in terms of access to quality care for people who don't have a lot of money? Ooh, that's a very big question. I think there are a lot of very good brains on this. Um, and there have been some ideas that seem like they're going to, going to stick, such as shared housing for elders. Um, assisted living is ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. And I also think, as baby boomers, we think about our generation and, and what we've done in our generation. We're not going to sit still for this. So there are many, many of us working on how do we make this available to more people. Fine if you can spend five, six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month. Um, you can get great care, but what what happens to the people who are alone and have no money and just barely getting by? So it, it's a very big problem. Yeah, which which I I must say. Um... I'm pretty sure will affect me personally. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have some resources, but not five, six, seven thousand a month resources. Right. So, so that's very fascinating to me, since uh, mostly everyone I knew in their twenties lived in communes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was sort of uh, you don't have that much money or income. You just move into a big house together, right? Right. So the idea that we might return to that is very—I'm uh, smiling right now at that idea—and it yeah. makes it makes sense to me. So you'd get a big house, you'd have an extra room, and and hire someone to be the support. Is that how that it's, might it's work? A, you know, it's a little more complicated than that. If for, I mean, who? owns the house. I mean, if, if they're going to be, if there is care being given in that house, that house needs to be licensed. And it's not hard to get licensed, but you have to do it. And, you know, I'm thinking more about people living in community and on their own, they say, well, three out of six of us need someone to shower us every day or, or stand by while we shower so we're safe. So you hire one caregiver who comes and does three showers instead of each person paying whatever the hourly rate is for a caregiver to come in and shower. And there's way more than showering, obviously, but mm-hmm. just... As an example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my own family, an extended family, we have been looking for probably four or five years for a way to create an intentional community. And it's very complicated because just because of the human factor mostly. Um, But that is how I see myself aging. I do not want to age the way my mother did Mm. or my father. 
I mean, hopefully I'll be healthier, but you never know. Yeah. And if I'm not healthy, I want to be with loved ones and then have someone who might come in and help me. Mm-hmm. But I want my loved ones to help me. You know, it's kind of opposite what I'm talking about what, with my mom. Yes, but, yeah. But that was right for her. Right. That was right for her at that time, but it's it's just not my picture of what old age is going to look like. Let's let's pick that up after the break. Yes, um, ma'am. I, I, that's that's a very the differences, you know, uh, maybe in how uh, some of us look at uh, end of life and how different that was from the way our parents did, for instance. Yes. So during the break, listeners, please go to my my uh, host page and get in touch with me. And you can get in touch with Marcy at Elder Roads E L D E R R O A D S dot com. We'll be back soon. Your life, your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state of the art viewing experience, live and on demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Marcy Baskin, elder care specialist and author of Assisted Living, Questions I Wish I Had Asked. And I was really interested in the point you were making before the break about how, uh, you know, your mother, my mother too, uh, didn't, you know, kind of... Well, for one thing, our our mothers were the same in that my mother was also horrified by the by the uh, option of moving in with us, and uh, and e- even resisted spending teenagers. the night when she you know couldn't walk and stuff. You know, <laughs> just just really opposed. Yeah, and I know that's somewhat. Uh, culturally defined. My mother-in-law isn't like that, for instance, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but a lot of people in that generation are. And then there's those of us taking care of them who are much more geared towards, you know, finding a support group or, uh, 
you know, um, I certainly, uh, if I'm going to be in a, in a, uh, an elder community, it's got to be warm and fuzzy, you know, uh, so many differences I felt. And that, that was a big part of what challenged me in caring for her is kind of doing what served her. Right. And, um, is that something that comes up a lot with the families that you work with? Yes, and uh, they don't always realize, um, or, or I should say, they don't necessarily see what I see, because quite often, because I do a lot of placement, I help people find appropriate uh, senior residential care. Um, the adult children, myself included, and I'd like to go back to this in a second, but they they walk into a place and it has high ceilings and fresh flower arrangements and a big grand lobby, and they say, "Oh, this is a great place." And then they they walk into the into the marketing director's office or whoever's selling them the apartment, and they don't even know what to ask. Oh, this place is pretty. Oh, do you do our laundry? Um, uh, where does she eat? And you know, questions like that. If if you look at my book, my questions go very deep. And the reason is, is we don't think of it from that perspective. We have never done this before. Mm-hmm. So we go with our value system in, into this uh, journey of finding uh, uh, probably the last home of our parents' life. And we say, well, this looks good. And, oh, wow, she has a great view from her room and all of that. but It feels right in here. It like feels that. right. But <laughs> it, it never quite felt right to me, but yeah, it seemed like the lesser of all right, the evils. Right-er. I guess right-er of <laughs> right-er, other options. <laughs> yeah. um, and that is why I wrote that book. Because part of my distress for the three years she lived there was no one managed my expectations. They let, you know, I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. I think this is just the way it goes sometimes, but I was acting as if this would work for mom. Of course, my heart was broken and I was scared, um, but I didn't, I didn't ask as many questions about this facility as I would um, if I was buying a new refrigerator. And that left me really vulnerable to every, every other day finding out a new procedure or a new um, policy that I was not aware of that appalled me. And I understand now why they have these policies. I just think adult children should know what they are. What, they are. what do you do in an emergency? I don't want my mother to go to the emergency room ever so how, can, how would that happen? Um, do you call me first or do you just call the EMTs and take her off? And what would make you call the EMTs in the first place? Um, that, you know, there's a lot of liability for the people who, uh, who run these places. And so they have to, the CYA, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I got off the question that you asked. <laughs> but but I, I, I like where it's going anyway. One thing I noticed is that because I went to the marketing appointment with my mom, I went through the whole thing with her. She asked good questions, all the rest. But the reality of living there was actually quite different. It's kind of like marketing in any area. Right. Uh, you know, there's a, yeah. often a really substantial difference between, you know, kind of the bells and whistles um, mm-hmm. promotion and how it actually is. Yes. 
Did you find that too? Well, I didn't find that there was any dishonesty. I just found that there was an absence of encouragement for me to ask certain questions. Mm-hmm. And I only can say that now, looking backwards. In, in the moment, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I was, had one eye on my mother and one eye on the marketing person, worried she was going to wander off somewhere, you know. And um, uh, I don't think that anybody, well, for the most part, people don't try and fool us, but they, no, just, I, like, and they I, like to and steer I, us yeah. away. Yeah, I, I I didn't mean to imply that. There's just ways of of speaking of a reality. Uh, you know, for instance, it it was true that they had at my mom's place, and and this might not have applied to your mom, but it does did to my. It was true they had a welcoming committee, and you know, people who. But what's also true is they didn't call. Right. You know, know, she had to go out and say, where's that welcoming committee? You know, so I think there's just how things work in reality is much different than kind of the headlines. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so absolutely everybody has a welcoming committee. But here's another thing. There's you go and you see a full calendar of all these fabulous activities and discussion groups and and trips and you know, whatever they have. And it, a lot of times we might think, wow, that's great. But think about your mom. If your mom is not a player in that way, if she's somebody who likes to sit and read a book and that makes her happier than anything or listening to music quietly, who cares about all those activities? Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's really easy to get caught up in your own preferences. More and, is better, too. Uh, that's a cultural phenomenon, somehow thinking more is better. Right. Uh, but, if, but if the more is something that you don't care about, right. it's, not, it's not better. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think there's a page in my book where I talk about engagement and say, don't think all these activities is going to change who your mom is. She's a quiet person. She's going to be a quiet person. Right. If she's a lively person, they might be able to get her to join in and do things. Um, it's, you know, it just occurred to me something is interesting about this, that you were talking about communes when you were in your 20s. And, you know, of course, I lived through those same years. And, and, and then now we are a lot of people, at least my peers and people I talk to, are thinking about community. How the heck are we going to age? What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, not everybody wants to do that, but it seems like a movement to me. And you know what baby boomers do when they have a movement. They do it. <laughs> so, so get ready. Bells <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but our parents, you know, I never really thought about this before. Our parents, for the most part, were ex- extremely private. And if you had ever asked my mother when she was well, if she would like to live in community, you know, with her own place, but just being involved with all these other people, and she would have said, no, Mm. I want to be by myself or with dad. That's all I want. And see my sisters sometimes. I want to, uh, no, I don't want to be with strangers. You know, there's this thing in that generation about strangers that are not blood. Um, but we're really different. So we've come from communes to doing our earning years and whatever we're doing to, and maybe facing, looking down the barrel of retirement now, and we're back to communes again, at least in thought. And here's all these elders 
living in assisted living communities who were not of that mind. But I guess it was the only option for some of them. I didn't have a conclusion there. I was. It's just a huge transition, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the bottom line. Yeah, most. You know, I'm sorry. Before we get off, because we're going to run out of time soon. Oh my god, um, it's an hour. (laughs) Which is amazing. Um, To me, uh, well, first of all, I want people to know where you work. And if they need these resources, not where you work, how they can go about getting them. Okay. Uh, I don't want to leave without you speaking to that because I just think for many reasons, it's got to improve things a lot to have someone who knows the territory. And I mean that in both ways, that you know it emotionally and physically. Mm -hmm. So how... um, Okay. Well, I... What's your service area? Most of my clients are either in Marin, Sonoma, or San Francisco County. I have had clients in the East Bay just because they weren't able to find anyone to help them. But the other side of that is I know a lot of people in my field who are going in this direction or some version of it. And if people contact me, I would be happy to talk to them and point them in the right direction. I don't, I, need to keep, really I don't need to keep all the clients for myself. Yeah. You know, I think that's really helpful just because there can be such a sense of being lost. And, uh, you know, I'm not a person who feels lost that much, mm-hmm. but I felt kind of lost getting all this to happen. So the idea you can just, you know, get someone to help you with the lost seems, <laughs> seems yeah. so vitally important to me. Um, yes. To give you a sense of direction and yes. help you form the questions and and all of that. Well, and, and the other you thing know, is is one of the one of the important parts of my job, aside from all this emotional um, these emotional things that we're talking about, I have resources for almost everything in all for all income levels. Um, I can't say I can get everything for someone who doesn't have any resources, but or doesn't have any financial resources, but things that can help them on the journey, I know the resources and I can point them in the right direction and then they can go explore on their own. And that doesn't cost anything to call me and ask me that question. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful and generous offer because I do find, um, you know, I was thinking so much because my mother... Uh, started out very poor but was a very good money manager. Yes. And and so she actually didn't have any financial worries. Mm-hmm. Uh and I was I was thinking the entire time through this how different life would have been if that hadn't been true. Yes. So I really appreciate that there's um awareness of that in the field and, and especially in you. So thank you for putting that out for people and being, being generous with it. And I hope you'll keep me updated about, uh, I I feel you're growing and evolving and I want to know all about it. So thanks for being with us today, Marcy. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed talking with you, Cheryl. Let's keep in touch. Okay. Sounds good. 
next week, join me when I will be talking with Betsy Rose, a musician whose recent CD, Long for This World, is a body of songs of loss, remembrance, and comfort in seasons of endings and transitions. And we've been getting to know each other. You, you will really enjoy the show, I'm sure. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.